I am not an innocent, not bystander. An innocent bystander. I am a threat, am a threat to, my enemy. to my enemy. I am powerful. I am, I am strategic and bold. I will not sit idly by. I will take ground. I will advance. I will tear through my enemy. And my enemy will hate me. I will not avoid the difficult fight. I will fight. I will be wounded. I will be targeted and I will bleed. I will not tire. My wounds will be healed. I will see tragedy. I will feel pain. But I will be restored. My feet will not stumble. My hands will hold fast. I will not be intimidated. Hey, we are in chapter 5. I already gave you the little teaser. It's the topic of salvation. That's right. Chapter 5 is your turning there. If you already haven't, page 53. For those who hooked on page numbers done, page 53, little recap. The whole point of salvation is, well, hey, why must I be saved? Well, thanks for asking, Janice, because uh, you're lost. Okay, it has nothing to do with GPS. I'm not trying to get into men-women debate and who drives better. Please don't go there. We'll really get distracted. I'll never finish this chapter. Uh, it's because we're a sinner, okay? And because we're a sinner, we're lost. We're cut off from God, okay, as we've been seeing. And that's the point. When we explain, quote, salvation to other people, is that the inclination that they're getting from us? That this isn't just, well, you're going to miss out on a better life than what you're already having because Jesus is just a life enhancement. No, the impression that people need to realize when we're sharing the true gospel is you're, in, you're lost. And unless that lost condition doesn't get fixed, you are ultimately headed to what? Not just a bad life, but what? Hell. Jesus came to save us from hell. Okay? People need to know that. Okay? Why? Because it's real. We've seen before, he's talked about it twice as much as he ever did about heaven. Why? Because he loves people. He doesn't want them to go there. That's why he died on the cross. When we explain salvation to people, are they getting that same impression? Or are we wimping out? Or do we even really know? Okay? People need to know that. Okay? Well, and that leads to the question, then if you rightly explain it, this lost condition, you don't want to go to hell. Well, that's the, the question we saw at the bottom of page 54. Well, how can I be right before a holy God? What must I do to be saved? Well, first of all, you are saved not by your works. You're saved as an act of graciousness or grace by God. And therefore, since it's his salvation, it's his work, you have to receive it as a gift and that's what the bible clearly says salvation is okay and because it's not of your doing it's not your salvation it's not dependent upon your works you're not trying to earn merit with god because remember as we've been seeing he is a holy god infinitely holy infinitely righteous without sin without spot without wrinkle without uh, darkness or shadow thereof okay that means you have to be 100 percent blameless so the standard of of getting into heaven is 100 percent perfection how many of you are 100% perfect all the time? How about just a month? 
Hey, the last two weeks while I was gone. How about the last two minutes? No, we can't, folks. And that's the whole point. We're disqualified. But if you're going to get to heaven on your own, you don't need Jesus. That's the standard. It's not man. It's not trying to find somebody worse than you because we could all play that game. God doesn't play the game. If you're going to have a relationship with he who is holy, you have to be holy too. That's the problem. We're not. So how do you get it fixed? Well, you're saved as an act of his graciousness. He didn't have to save us, you know. He didn't have to send Jesus, you know. He didn't have to. He could have nuked the whole planet, started all over, and been completely just. He's the creator. He's the one who makes the rules. Okay, but he did, and we receive it, as we're seeing the next point, by, it's not only a gift, okay, received as an act of God's grace. Let's capitalize that one. It's received by faith. That he was, I am saved through faith. We left off there at 56, the second paragraph. In Romans 3, 28, Paul says, a man is justified by faith apart from what? Works of the law. Okay, remember what we did? We, we translated that Christianese word, law. It's the law. It's the law of the West. No, it's the law that's in the Bible. But what really is that? You can't, it's trying to be good enough. Right, the standard is recorded for us in the Bible. And that's what God's trying to point out. You can't be good enough. Here's just 10 commandments. Can you keep them? Uh-uh. That's my point. I knew you couldn't keep them. It's trying to reveal our need of a savior. We need help. We can't make it, right? And so the law is our attempts of trying to be good enough. And it's right. There's nothing wrong with the law. Everything that God gives us, his law, as Paul says, is righteous, is just. The problem is the law. It's our inability to keep it. We can't be good enough. Okay, so we are justified then by faith apart from the works of the law of you trying to earn your way to get there, okay? Faith is the Greek word pistis and it can be translated, here it is, two blanks in a row, count them, Tom, one, two, trust or confidence, right? And this is some of the Christianese we need to break through when we again explain the gospel uh, to the non-Christian, okay? Is it, well, you need to, you need to uh, believe in Jesus, okay? I'm telling you, if you say that, that's better than nothing, but you need to break that down. Well, I believe in Jesus. And they look at him like he's a historical figure. I believe in Abraham Lincoln. I never saw him either. There's shows all the time on History Channel. I'm sure they got it right. That's not what it means to be saved. That's not what it means to receive this by faith as an act. It's pistis, it's trust or confidence. What? In the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So we need to explain that phrase when it's, you say to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saying believe on his work as sufficient full payment for your sins. It's Jesus Christ taking the death penalty in your place and my place. That's what I'm receiving by faith. Now, why is it by faith? Well, as we saw before, because number one, you can't earn it, right? So it has to be by faith. Okay, number two, you and I were not there. How many guys saw Jesus being crucified? If you raise your hand, we'll lay hands on you. Okay, no pressure. Okay, no, we can't earn it, and you weren't there. So it has to be by faith. Okay, it's common sense. Okay, thus to place confidence in Christ and his finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins is saving faith. Underline that word saving faith. Okay, because that's key, because you know a lot of people today have faith. Right? They got faith in themselves. They got faith in something, in their family, their abilities. They got faith in their religion. That doesn't make a person could say, I'm a person of faith. But faith in what? It's a generic term nowadays. If it's saving faith, there's only one saving faith, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. If you are only trusting in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that's it. 
That's the only thing that can save you. Why? Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. That's it. And the general rules we've seen before is if somebody says, oh yeah, I'm trusting in Jesus, okay, but then they say Jesus and or Jesus or or Jesus, but that is not the gospel. That is not saving faith. It's 100% Jesus, that's it. Okay, that's saving faith. Because there's a lot of people there, believe it or not, you break through the barriers. And I'm talking even in the quote-unquote Christian community. And they are placing their so-called faith in, yeah, Jesus, but my church attendance or my baptism or my works or, and those are good things to do, but now you're getting the car before the horse. Are you saved by those things? Uh-uh. Okay, and you have to uh, be careful of that. Saving faith is what he's talking about. In other words, saving faith is to so completely put our hope in Christ's finished work on the cross uh, uh, alone, underline that word, that's it, as sufficient to pay for our sins that if it is not sufficient, we have no hope. That's it, right? And I'll tell you, you're gonna get into a hopeless situation as a Christian. I'm talking a born-again Christian. Because somewhere along the line, even after you got saved, did you realize you're going to sin again? And now he's gone meddling. Would you please go back on vacation? All right, now here's the good news. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that completely forgives you of all sin. Had a conversation with somebody, a girl from I think Ohio or something, called up and had a particular sin that she had done in the past and she was being hounded. But maybe God can't forgive me for that one. Well, let me just ask you a simple question here. We've talked about this in our study. Um, can you please name for me the sin that Jesus cannot forgive? It's almost blasphemous to even speak like that. All sins can be forgiven by Jesus. And if they're forgiven, don't call God a liar. When he says, I forgive you of everything, it's everything. When he says, I cleanse you from all unrighteousness, it's all unrighteousness. You just need to not listen to your feelings. Don't listen to the past. Listen to the word of God. When he says it's all, it's all. Now that's a wonderful, hopeful reality to live by. Listen, even after you blow it as a Christian, isn't it? And I, I had an instructor, Dr. Mal Couch in seminary, and he'd always say, you know what, sometimes, uh, we talk about this before, that as a Christian, you're gonna lay there in bed at night all alone, and the thoughts, you're, and maybe it's a time when you're like in a ditch or, or you're, you're just in a, like a little detour with Jesus, which we don't recommend it, but it happens, right? But you're laying there and you're looking at it, you're going, man, what has happened to me? What, where's, what's my walk? What is going on? And you're laying there and you're going, am I even, the thought goes to your head, am I even really saved? And it freaks you out. He says, those are actually good times. Because what it usually should do is force you to go right back down to the bare bones message. Uh-uh. You go back to the scripture, back to the gospel, and what is the gospel? Is it Jesus and me trying to keep it from now on? Is it Jesus and hopefully I refrain from that sin and everybody's got that sin? Or is it Jesus and nothing but him and he did it all? Whew. Okay, I can go to sleep now. That's the hope that he's talking about. What is my result of my faith in Christ? Well, there's several words here that need to be defined to help us understand what Paul is saying. The first word is justified. Billy Graham says, just as if I'd never sinned. Okay, good explanation there. Justified. The Greek uh, verb translated being justify is dikai-a-o. Let's say that. Oh, one of you, praise God. Okay, and it's a legal term that Paul used in his day, which meant to be pronounced or treated as righteous. To be pronounced or treated 
as righteous, okay? It's a legal term. In other words, even though we are not righteous experientially, how many guys can verify that without any help or hesitation? All right, now those of you who didn't raise your hands and you are married, I will be speaking to your spouse to verify that point very quickly after study. No, but we all know that. No, we, we know that, okay? But, but when we receive Christ as our Savior, we are declared righteous, okay, positionally, okay? It doesn't change your identity, you might, at, at the moment you become a born-again Christian, the Bible says you're a child of God. That's it. So what you're always going to be forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Praise God. Amen. Now, as a child, you're going to probably do something wrong after you became his child. Spanky-wanky is right, John. Or if you want to sound really hip and uh, theologically correct, spanky-wanky-kiss. You know, so you've got to throw in some southern Greek there or something. But, uh, uh, but you're going to blow it, Okay. But uh, does that mean that you ceased at that point to become God's child? No, that's what we saw before. He uses terms that cannot be reversed. Eternal. How does that which is eternal ever become uneternal? It's illogical. How can that which is born become unborn? Okay. I remember when my niece was uh, being born. And uh, man, she came out and she's, you ever have one of those babies that uh, they did the forceps on them? And poor little critter. <laughs> Had kind of like a cone-shaped head, and she was beet red, man. Had this jet black hair, thinking like that. I said, Whoa! It's the first time I was an uncle. I said, Man, you want to put that thing back in there? But you can't. When it's born, let it cook longer or something. I don't know. With all due respect, I love. She's a beautiful girl now. But anyway, so but anyway, I'm serious. That's what I was. 13 years old when I became an uncle. I saw that. So what is that coming out of it? So anyway, but uh, you can't be unborn, okay? And that's what the Bible is talking about, okay? We have become God's children. We are justified as if we've never, uh, ever sinned. We may not see it experientially, but as we saw before, God puts those rose-colored glasses on. And we, he sees us now at the moment of salvation for the rest of our existence, not just here on earth, but forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He sees us only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he sees the blood of Jesus Christ, it's forgiven. Completely. Every, every last, ask, everything. And we, again, just like that girl, we need to, we, 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 don't ex, we don't, it's not your experience that validates that. It's the word of God. Positionally, I've been declared righteous as if I'd never sinned. Isn't that wild? That's salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Okay, in other words, even though we're not righteous experientially, when we receive Christ as our Savior, we're declared righteous positionally by the Father because we are in Christ, okay? I am justified, is the next point. To, uh, to justify is to declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. It's a forensic or legal act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous on the basis of the blood of Christ, right? Now, that's a good Christianese phrase. You talk to the average non-Christian today, three generations removed from a Judeo-Christian ethic and understanding. That sounds kind of creepy. And if you know the early church and some of the persecution that they did, with times of Nero and stuff, that was the excuse. Two things that they, well, several things, but two of them that they did to uh, kill the Christians and make them out to be weirdos and with using propaganda was they took a communion, unfortunately, like the Catholic Church does today, and they take it literally like this really is the body and blood of Christ, right? And so they actually accused the early church of committing, what are they doing in there, cannibalism? Kid you not. And it stirred fear in the populace, ah, right? And then the blood of Christ, what kind of a gross thing is this? What are these people up to? And so you, we, we live in that generation again. They don't understand this. So what does it mean, blood of Christ? Jesus, and that's why you hear me say this all the time, because the non-Christian gets to this concept. 
because they see it in our society. It's a legal thing. It's called the death penalty. If somehow, some way, even though you were completely guilty and you, earn, you earned the chair, the wages of sin, here's your wage, you go to the death penalty for what you did, your crimes. You can't reverse it. No amount of sitting in that jail cell can reverse it or earn back and re- erase it. But you can't get off if the governor pardons you, pardons you. Okay, he has the authority to do that. Or if you can somehow convince somebody to take the death chair in your place so that the law can be satisfied. Jesus did both. Okay, that's what the scripture uh, says he's done for us. It's a forensic act, and that's what we mean by the blood of Christ. His blood, his life was given. He took the death chair, the, the cross. That was the death penalty of the day for criminals, by the way. Okay, he took it for you and I so we can get off free. The major emphasis of justification is positive. It involves two main aspects. Underline these. It involves the pardon. Okay, your first one. Underline that thing. And the removal. Now, notice again the words here of all sin. I told you guys a few weeks back about the J.B. Phillips translation. Had somebody actually mail me one from the East Coast. Thank you very much. And because uh, mine had been given away. I want to give you a little flavor. Uh, he does a great job, not only with the, the paraphrase, but it's really accurate to the Greek and it kind of expands it at the same time. Okay. Uh, Colossians chapter uh, 2, I think around verse 13. Listen to what he says. Uh, regular translation might say something. He's forgiven us our sins and stuff like that. But listen to what it really says there. Uh, in the Greek. Speaking of Jesus, he has forgiven you of all your sins. Christ has utterly wiped out. See, like sometimes it might say just taken away. Not quite as strong as what's really going on there. He has utterly, he isn't just wiped out, he's utterly wiped him out. Okay? Of the damning evidence of the broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads. All the wrong stuff you did that your conscience and your memory and other people in society always reminded you about. Look at what you did. Jesus utterly wiped it out. It's all completely gone. And has not just annulled, he has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. Those things that hovered over our head and people held against us got placed on Jesus Christ. That's amazing, okay? And that's what he's talking about there, okay? And let's continue on. And the end of the separation of God, okay? Now we are made righteous. Well, hey, that's good news. Why? Because what was our predicament before being lost? God is holy. We are not. We're unrighteous. Well, through the cross of Jesus Christ, positionally, we're made righteous. So guess what? That's why we've seen so many times before the Bible uses this word saint. Saint is from the Greek word hagios and it means holy one. You just got made into, in spite of yourself, myself, forever holy. You're a holy one. Turn to somebody and say, you holy one. you, Huh? You saint? Right? Obviously people were fighting on the way to Bible study. But anyway, we won't, we won't go there. Okay, it's rough to say, but it's true. And so because we're a saint, every Christian's a saint. You're holy, God's holy, no more separation. That's what uh, Jesus has done for us, okay? And, and it's, uh, it, it involves the end of separation God. It also involves the bestowal of righteousness upon the believing person. Listen, and a title of all the blessings that he has promised to the just. Now that would be phenomenal if we had time to just do with all the promises, all the blessings that come from just being a Christian, that has been bestowed. Notice the word, not earned. It's bestowed. It's part of the wonderful, full salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. It's much more than just being forgiven. 
I mean, just look at a couple aspects we saw last time, if you recall. Okay, uh, it, it, we're, we're not going to hell. Yeah, that's great. No, are you kidding me? That's awesome. <laughs> okay, that's a bad place. And we're going to heaven instead. And before we even get there, we walk every single day and have an intimate, beautiful, loving, personal, one-on-one relationship, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with the creator of the universe. That's just three things. Wow, okay, that's what we've done. Now, I'm redeemed. This is a great word. Uh, Paul says justification comes through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. The Greek word for redemption is apolotroseos, okay, was originally used when someone would go into a slave market and buy back a slave or war captive, making him free by payment of a ransom, okay? It's related to the Greek word lutruo, uh, meaning to redeem or release. I like that one, John. Release, okay, by payment of a price, okay? You were a slave, okay? That's what the Bible says. We were slaves of who? Satan, okay, the little G, the little God of this world. The Bible says we were enemies, uh, towards God. We belong to, uh, 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 the Bible says that we were rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son He loves, Jesus Christ. Okay, but because of grace, we are set free now to serve God. We were slaves of Satan and this world. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Okay, take a look at this. Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. And uh, here's what Paul says. And the context is thanksgiving and prayer and just being excited and grateful and things of that nature. And he, Paul says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Oh, come on, why? Why do I got to do all this stuff? Why do I have to refrain from this and this? And I got to... Uh, he says, and, and, and bearing fruit in every good work. <laughs> Well, here's why. Do you understand what self, do you understand what Jesus did for you? It's not because you have to. It's not because you're trying to earn. It's because of what he's done for you. It's a logical response. And that's what he's saying. He says this, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have a great endurance uh, and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has listened qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves and whom we have redemption he bought us out of satan's slave market that's what he's talking about he bought us out you there, you can buy yourself out you are a slave even in our country in our history today not just here in america it was around the world okay when a person became a slave that's it yeah, I'm not condoning it, but that's the situation. You're a slave till you die. You ain't getting out. You could try to escape, and in this case, there is no escape. But Jesus came in here, and he bought every one of us back. And he bought us, the scripture says, Peter says, with the precious blood of Christ. That's amazing, okay? And he says, in whom we have redemption, he bought us back in the forgiveness of sins. Satan couldn't hold us anymore because the sins are gone. The sins are forgiven and we got released. Okay, it's what he's talking about there. We were slaves of Satan in this world, but because of grace, we are now set free to serve God 
okay? In addition, the New Testament uses two other Greek words to express and expand this idea. The first is agorazo, meaning to buy at the marketplace, and a related word is ex agorazo, and a compound of ek, exit, out of, okay, as we saw before. And so you add those two together, ex agorazo means the believer has been bought, okay, at the marketplace, okay, and released out of it, okay? Now, see, that's the illusion of Satan, isn't it? I mean, if you can imagine, here's his little world that we used to be in, okay, Satan's little sin pit, okay, and we were stuck in there. And here comes Jesus in the cross. He bought us out. He says, okay, here it is. Here's the way out to the cross. Get on out and come on into the kingdom of light. Awesome life. Woo! Before you even get to heaven. Come on, go. And you know what the enemy does? He tricks you into thinking you're stuck here. And we never walk in the victory. We never walk out of it. We realize, Paul says, we are no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to live here anymore. Did you know that? Now, the world will do its best to keep you here. Think that you have to do that. You will always, be, excuse me, show me the verse. Jesus Christ has set me free from that. Name the sin by the Spirit of God that Jesus Christ had to commit. That's blasphemous. Well, his Spirit lives inside of us now as a Christian. And as the Bible says, when we walk and live and keep in step with his spirit, we will not obey. There is freedom in Christ from any and every sin. That's the way out of this mess. Take the way out through the cross. Enjoy the kingdom of life. Yeah. Okay, that is what the enemy will try to keep you from enjoying the rest of your time. He can't take away your salvation. He just tries to keep you out of that and enjoying what Christ has won for us. Okay, is what he's talking about there. Okay, let's continue on. He talks about that. We've been released from the concept of redemption accordingly includes the purchase, removal from sale. Okay, we can't go back. Anybody glad? Oh, maybe I'm going to be put on the chopping block again and, and Satan's going to offer something even bigger and get me back. What's bigger than the cross of Christ? Ain't going to happen. Okay, you are out of sale, man. And the complete freedom, underline that word, complete freedom of the ransomed individual through the death of Christ and the application of redemption by the Holy Spirit. Okay, God's righteous demands uh, to punish my sin have been met. Okay, that's good. That's what that girl needed to hear. It's done. Jesus took the hit for you for that sin, not condoning the sin. And she didn't have a light attitude towards it, but you need to understand he took the hit for it. And it just makes you love him even more, doesn't it? Okay? And Paul says in verse 25 that Christ's death on the cross was a hilasterion or a propitiation we saw before. This interesting Greek word was used in the Septuagint or the Greek translation of the Old Testament or for those of you hooked on Roman numerals was also LXX or 70, whatever. Let's continue on. I want to finish. Of the mercy seat found on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Remember that? Where the angel's wings met on the top there? Uh, the cherubim there? Uh, here once a year the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Is your next two blanks there. To cover the sins of the nation of Israel. Leviticus 16, the day of atonement says, then he, Aaron, the high priest, shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, <clears throat> and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat, and he shall make atonement, cover the thing, okay, for the holy place, because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to how many of their sins? All of them. This was to meet God's righteous demands to punish sin. The Old Testament type 
was ultimately fulfilled when Christ shed his blood on the cross to satisfy God's righteous demands to punish our sins. It was God's gift to us. It's free for you and I. You and I don't do anything to earn this thing. We don't pay God for it. We simply receive it, but it costs God his son. Salvation is free, yes, but it came at a price. Somebody paid that price for you and I, and that was Jesus Christ, okay? You see, uh, God's justice demanded that he punish the sins of mankind, and his wrath was directed uh, against us. So that's how he is both loving and just at the same time. He can't just let us go. So does he let Hitler go? Does he let this person go? Does he let, who does he let go? That wouldn't be fair. That's not just. So nobody gets to go. Well then, and then we can't earn it, so what do we do? Here's where his love kicks in. I'll let my son do it. The law is satisfied, and my love reigns supreme. I let you go. Right? Didn't break the law. It completely satisfies the whole thing. Christ became our substitute, he says there. Now God places or imputes Christ's righteousness to us. Now that's what we saw before, believe it or not, God's divine accounting. It's an accounting term that Paul uses there. And if you could imagine... Okay, God takes here. Here's a picture of John. I look at John. Look at that. What do you look at that, man? That's, ooh, I've been practicing over vacation. This is great. He's got a little jacket on here. He's looking sharp. Bruce got one too. They match. He must be married. Okay, and so anyway, he's got his cool leather jacket. Nice, cool. Okay, but it's black because it symbolizes sin. What's John gonna do? I got. Oh, you took it off. Oh, hey, you've been redeemed. Praise God. No, okay, but anyway. So <laughs> anyway. So John full of sin, and here's the cool thing. This is the positional truth, okay? God, he know, he's above and beyond time. We saw that before, right? He sees the beginning from the end. He sees all of time because he's above and beyond time. He's looking down at the beginning and the end all at the same time. He could see every aspect of all creation of all time all at the same time. So he knows everything we've ever done and we're ever gonna do. The Bible says God even knows what we ask for we can ask him. Hello, of course. So everything that John, this is what he's talking about. Imputed righteousness is the Christianese word. God took all of John's sins, placed it on the cross of Jesus, and then took, how, how righteous was Jesus? How, how many sins did he commit? None. So he's perfectly righteous, right? So then God in turn gave John 100% Christ righteousness. Isn't that awesome? He took all of our rottenness, and gives all of Christ's righteousness. That'll preach. And if you can't make that preach, you ain't got no preach in you. Okay? That's awesome. That's what God did. This. He took on the one ledger, accounting, placed it here, took the other one, put it over here, bang. That's what he's talking about. He's our substitute. He imputed righteousness. Uh, he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin to be a sin offering on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. What do you mean? Well, we become the righteousness of God. How? Because in God's divine accounting, he takes all of our rottenesses, places it with Jesus, went into the grave, and he gave us all of Jesus' righteousness. We're made holy. Now we have a relationship with God. Now, before we even get to heaven. It's absolutely mind-blowing, okay? And so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, and Peter puts it this way, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Now the whole point we've been seeing, we're not saved by our works, but we're saved for good works. Ephesians 2.10. Because we have to do that to maintain our... No, 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 no. That's all done. But God wants to use us to do something great. Did you know that God might want to use us to let other people know about what we're talking about tonight? What a concept. 
Okay. He could take an ad out on one of the billboards here in Vegas. Mm, yeah. He prefers to use his children. Now, you know what makes a good commercial? Or what he just say? That we die to sin and live to righteousness. Listen, we start to live that which we are. Right? You're a holy one. Now act like it. Well, I can't do it. You're right. Learn to trust, walk in the kingdom. Walk, live, keep in step with the spirit. Learn how to walk in the spirit and I'll do it for you. I'll even do that for you. I will give you the ability to be that positive commercial for my son so that other people can know. But again, we're over here in Satan's little sin thing and we still try to live the Christian life on our own. It never works. You gotta get into the kingdom. You gotta understand who we are and what Christ has done. I am forgiven, okay? And uh, since Christ's death satisfied the righteous demands of God to punish sin, now through faith we can receive forgiveness. Forgiveness, your next blank there, is the legal act of God whereby, I love this word, he removes he removes the charges that were held against the sinner because proper satisfaction or atonement for the sins has been made. Paul says this, Ephesians 1, 7. Okay, in him, Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood. He bought us out of Satan's slave market. Okay, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The Greek word that Paul uses here is Ephesus, which means to pardon or the cancellation of an obligation, a punishment or guilt. That is, our sins are forgiven. All of them. Paul, as we saw in Colossians, says this. He made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. All of them. Okay? And when you realize what Christ has done for us, guys, and when we finally start walking in this kingdom, when we realize who we are in Christ as his children, listen, you have to always understand positionally you may not always look and act and behave and speak like a saint. I'm not condoning that. But the way out of looking, acting, speaking, behaving more like a saint, i.e. being that which you really are in God's eyes, is knowing who you are. In God's eyes. If somebody for your whole life said, you're just a good for nothing, nothing, just deadbeat, dead, whatever, pretty soon, you start to believe it, don't you? And guess what? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you wake up one day and you realize that somebody had snatched you from your real family, you grew up in an environment that lied to you, and then you finally woke up and you got out of that mess and you realized, excuse me? This whole time I lived in this environment and you said I was a good for nothing, nothing on baloney. And the whole time I was royalty. I was a king's kid. I am a king's kid. <gasps> that changes everything. That changes how you speak. That changes how you act. You see what I'm saying? One guy, he puts it this way. I think we shared this before, but you, you got to hear it again. And this is a true story. He says, uh, one day a young man came into my office for a counseling appointment and he flinched and he shook and he was obviously on some kind of drug. And he introduced himself this way. Hi, my name is Jimmy. I'm a paranoid, manic, depressive, schizophrenic. And I looked at him, I said, that's a really marvelous self-image. I imagine that you can hardly wait to get up in the morning so you can look in the mirror and say, hi there, Jimmy, you old paranoid, manic, depressive, schizophrenic. He said, who hung that label on you? After his initial surprise, Jimmy explained his history. He'd been under the treatment of psychiatrists and psychologists since he was 18 years old. His father had originally taken him because he had been depressed. But with each new counselor, their diagnosis had grown more complicated. Jimmy blundered through the years, failing at work, 
failing at marriage, failing at life. His dependency on drugs grew as he resigned himself to his circumstances. And so he began with Jimmy. He says, Jimmy, I agree that you made some poor decisions in life, and we'll work on those, but I'm most concerned right now with who you think you are. He said, are you a Christian? And he said, yeah. He said, are you in Christ? Yeah. Does Christ live in you? Yes. Then let's determine who you are based on who God says you are. Do you think that if God were introducing you around the kingdom of heaven, would he say, hey, everybody, this is Jimmy, the paranoid, manic, depressive, schizophrenic. He said, no. God would say, hey, everybody, this is my beloved son, Jimmy. Okay? Is what he would say. When God looks at you, he sees a child of his who is totally forgiven, perfect in his sight, because you are in Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And he sees you as a person who has also made some pretty poor decisions and who's believed a lot of lies based on the thinking of this world. And he said, Jimmy and I plowed uh, and worked hard through the errors of his life one by one, but it was settling the issue of his identity that enabled it to happen. Today, Jimmy has a new family, he's healthy, he's a solid man who's grown in the Lord, and he says many people are in a trap like Jimmy's. They're, they identify themselves as, I, hi, I'm John, I'm an alcoholic. I'm Steve, I'm a homosexual. He says, why don't we do that with other sins? He said, I re- wrestle with a critical spirit at times, why don't I say, hi, I'm Bob, I'm a criticizeaholic. He said, I'll tell you why. He says, I simply refuse to define myself by my failures. Truth is what God says about it. That's who we are, positionally. Not necessarily explanation, but that's the truth. When someone accepts a label like one of these, it cements his identity in his own mind as determined by his behavior. Therefore, it is natural to assume that the behavior can never change. If you were lied and never told that you were a king's kid, you were gonna act like you are a nothing and a nobody and you can't do nothing. You'll always sin. You're always stuck in that slave market. But the whole time it's a lie. That's not who you really are. You don't have to to be that way you don't have to live like that okay so people accept the inevitable and normal uh bondage which god came to set them free okay and it closes with this one we talked about this before an administrator of the largest psychiatric hospital in london was quoted as saying listen to this if the people here only knew what it means to be forgiven i could dismiss half of them at once they know the power of forgiveness and being made new, new creation, new life, new in Christ, new identity, new direction. That's what Jesus has won for us. I am reconciled. Paul says in Romans 5, 1, therefore we've been justified by faith. We've got peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul then states the emphasis of reconciliation is that of making peace with God. Man who is estranged from God is brought into communion with God. Now, again, we've talked about this before. When it talks about being under the wrath of God, it's the Greek word orge, which is just, it's like a violent passion. It's, it's just God, just all oh, His holiness. It's just, you can't even, just, we, we will, I don't know if we'll ever understand what's, how egregious sin, unholiness is, and what an offense it is to an infinitely holy, righteous God. The angels are blown away, the scripture says. They long to look into these things. How can God save that? Because that's all I've ever known is his holiness. And Bob says, oh, he's holding it back. He's holding it back. Oh, his wrath. Jesus took that away. And so we went from being under God's wrath to intimate, loving, beautiful, personal relationship. Isn't that awesome? That's what he's talking about. I'm reconciled. 
brought back again, together in love and friendship with who? God is what he's done for me. Sin had created a barrier between man and God and rendered man hostile towards God. Through Christ, that enmity and the wrath of God was removed. Reconciliation may thus be defined as God removing the barrier of sin, producing peace that enabled him to be saved. I'm regenerated. In other words, the wonderful results of our faith in Christ is that we are regenerated. In Paul's letter to Titus, he states, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to what? His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. The Greek word translated regeneration is, yeah, that's a fun one, palingenesia, <laughs> meaning rebirth. Okay, this is what Jesus told Nicodemus he must do to see the kingdom of God. He's got to be born again, regeneration. That's where we talked before and we had the exciting several weeks there. We did the three circles, remember? And it represents man's tripart being. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. Our soul is that which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, that which who we are. But we have a spirit nature because God is spirit. Those who worship him, John 4, must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Bible says that we were created in the image of God. We're not God, of course, like New Age would say. But we are created in his image spiritually and morally. Why spiritually? Because God is spirit. So if you're going to commune with God, have a relationship with him, you got that same, as Peter says, we become uh, partakers of the divine nature. Okay, we're not, the, the, the trees, I'm sorry, don't have a spirit. You can hug it all you want, okay, get a rash, do whatever you want to do with all due respect, but it, it does, it's not going to talk back to you. And if it does, it's a demon. Okay, or Tom being behind the tree going, it <laughs> yeah, wasn't funny last week, Tom. Okay, but anyway, so, but <laughs> anyway, we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Now, as we saw before, regenerated is this. This is the visual. The Bible says we were cut off dead in our transgressions and sins prior to being saved. That means spiritually we were dead. And so we only listened to the world, the sin, right? But when we were born again, this is what it means. We've been made spiritually alive. This kicked into gear again. It regenerated. Hey, we got the spirit now. We have that communication with God once again. That's what he's talking about there with that big Christianese phrase, regeneration. Okay, is what he said. And it's that instantaneous act that occurs at the point of true faith in Jesus Christ, whereby God imparts a new nature and a new life. And in addition to the Holy Spirit, he indwells the believer for how long? Oh, forever, okay? And he seals him until the day of redemption, baptizes him, identifies him, or places him into the body of Christ. It needs to be understood, listen, that our, what kind of security? Eternal security, or our perseverance in the faith, the doctrine is better known, Tom, as the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. It's not dependent on us, but who? God. Praise God. It's his salvation, not ours. It's his work. It's not ours. It's his cross, not ours. Okay, praise God. For this reason, we can be guaranteed of our salvation forever. Yay. Forever. Ain't gonna be ever taken away. Am I eternally secure? Yes. Believers are secure because the Father has chosen them to salvation from eternity past. The Father predestined believers to come to the status of sonship in Christ. The Father has the power to keep believers secure in salvation. And the ones the Father foreknew, predestined, called, and justified, Romans 8, are the ones whom he brings to glorification in the future. How many are lost? None are lost in the process. The Father's love for believers also guarantees their security. Okay, who is going to beat up God? And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Who's going to separate us from the love of God? Who's going to crawl up to heaven and beat God up 
and say, uh-uh, I'm taking this one back. Nobody. Open your Bibles real quickly to John chapter 10. It's just one amazing thing that Jesus says, okay? Nobody's going to take you out of the Father's hands. Nothing. And does that include you? Yeah. Okay? It's absolutely awesome. John chapter 10, verse 28 to 29. Jesus, of course, being the great shepherd, is the context. Talks about his sheep... uh, Listen to his voice. They follow him. And he says, verse 28, so I give them eternal life and they shall, what? what what's, the, what's the N word? Never. Notice he's using absolute statements. There's no if, there's no maybes. There's no clause in there. There's no conditional statement there. It's absolute never. Okay, you will never perish. And here's another absolute. No one can what? Snatch them out of my hand. Okay, my father who has given them to me is what? Greater than how many? Including Satan? You better believe it. Okay, no one, he says it again, can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Nobody is going to take it away. Who's going to beat up God? We belong to God. Who's going to bust into his kingdom and and hijack us out of there? Ain't going to happen, okay? Besides the work of the Son and the Holy Spirit, ensuring our security, the divine election of the Father also ensures his plan of bringing us to glorification someday. We're all marching towards the grave at different speeds. Some of us get us sooner or later, or if the rapture occurs, let's go ahead and practice tonight. Then we're all going there at the same time to experience this free. Is there anything ashamed in telling somebody this? Hasn't the enemy done a masterful job to getting us to be afraid to tell people of salvation? This is awesome. This is great news. I'll close with the story again. Hey, once we realize who we are, I tell you what, you can't, be, you can't help but be excited. Who we are in Christ. As a child of God, I'm accepted by Christ. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm alive with Christ and all things work together for good. I'm a believer. I'm blameless. I'm blessed in the heavenly realms and the evil one cannot touch me. I'm brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm born again. I'm beloved by God and I belong to God. I cannot be separated. I'm called to be a saint. I've been chosen before the creation of the world. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm complete in Christ. I'm completed by God and I cannot be condemned. I am his disciple. I'm dearly loved. I'm delivered. I have direct access to the throne of grace. I'm dead to sin. I'm healed from sin. I'm free from sin. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm a friend of Jesus. I've been forgiven by Jesus. I'm established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I'm free from my past. I'm kept by God's power. I'm prayed for by Christ, and I'm not going to hell. I'm a new creation. I'm not alone. I'm not helpless. I'm not in want. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm one with him in spirit. I'm a part of his kingdom. I'm a partaker of the divine nature, and I have peace with God. I'm protected by God. I'm empowered by God. I've been redeemed by God. I'm a personal witness for Jesus Christ, who has given me victory over death, hell, and the grave. That's why I'm secure that's why I'm strong and that's why I can stand in this day of evil because I am a child of God that's what we're talking about in salvation and that's what we have the privilege gospel means good news that we have to tell the people who are out there wondering hoping desperately can I really get rid of this sin can I really get this thing wiped out can I really get out of this place? Can, can God really put me here? Yeah. 
Man, if we really understand that, guys, we would, we would do what we're doing as a church. We'd find any way we can get the gospel out. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. 
for instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, They certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.